The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, and welcome to Tech Trader on Barron's Live, our uh, series of conversations with important players in the tech investing world. I'm Barron's Associate, Associate Editor, Eric Savitz. Today, I'm happy to welcome to our stage Jeffrey Myers, who is the portfolio manager of Cobia Capital, um, who is an investor in small cap tech, which is what we're going to talk about today. Jeff, welcome to Barron's Live. Thank you so much. Good to be here. Jeff, so let's talk first a little bit, give people a little bit of a flavor for how you think about the markets, how you approach the markets, what kind of things uh, are in your wheelhouse. Yeah, so we invest long and short in the small cap technology market. Uh, we have a value approach, so it's a little different from a lot of uh, the kind of growth momentum guys out there. And we, we tend to look at things on the long side. On a, We look at sort of enterprise value to revenue basis. You know, so we're looking at sort of the value of the business versus its revenue. And what that can tell you is if this company can get itself to, you know, sort of industry standard margins, it's going to be cheap on a price to earnings basis. And then people are going to get excited about it. So we try to get in early, you know, before um, before most people appreciate kind of new products or new management team, you know, that's, uh, you know, going to catalyze the uh, revenue growth of the business. And how, so how small will you go? What's sort of the ceiling on how high you will go in terms of uh, market cap size? Sure. So the general range is a hundred million on the low end and probably about 5 billion on the high end. Uh, we don't have like a real high-end limit, but what happens when companies get beyond that size is they have multiple divisions. It's just tougher for one new product to really move the needle. Um, so that kind of limits us a little bit in terms of the you know, market cap. I'd say the median in our portfolio is probably about $500 million or so. And then um, one other, let's talk a little bit about the environment. So We've had a what has generally been a pretty good market for tech shares in 2021, but highly volatile and with some real skews. Uh, you know, you've seen some, uh, particularly in the last few weeks, even in the last month or so, some very high multiple names have uh, gotten taken down a peg or two um, in terms of valuation. The large cap names, the stuff that's way out of your uh, out of your ballpark. Um, has generally done pretty well. Um, you know, you think think about uh, um, you know stocks like um, Alphabet and Microsoft have had nice years. How is the how's the shopping um, in small cap land? How's how is uh, how has your universe played out? And do you have a benchmark that you look at? Do you look at the Russell, or is there some other element that you? Yeah, so we we look at the Russell Technology Index, which is really all of the tech stocks within the Russell 2000. Um, and there's been a real divergence this year. If you look at that group of companies, like the Russell Technology Index is up about 9% on the year, whereas you know the NASDAQ Composite and the NASDAQ 100 are up over 20% on the year. So small caps are definitely underperformed. Even the, the broader you know, Russell 2000 Index is only up about 10 on the year. 
versus the S&P, which is up about, you know, 22, 23%. So it's been an interesting year because, you know, the markets, people look at the broader market and say, wow, the market's near the highs, but we're actually finding a lot more interesting things this year than usual because a lot of small cap companies have fallen through the cracks. Uh, you know, people have forgotten about them or they've just underperformed in general. So we actually have more kind of long names in the portfolio now than we usually do. And do you think that the, you know, the, the relative underperformance is a reflection of um, a sort of a market pre- preference for growth over value? Or is it about, does it just feel, are these stocks just getting uh, kind of fall, kind, kind of getting, you know, as you say, falling through the cracks? And, you know, I, and I wonder a little bit about whether we're creating more opportunity from what has been a very strong year in the IPO market, lots of SPAC deals, whether you're going to see some things sneak down to your market cap territory uh, because they're not getting the kind of support you might get from an investment bank in a more typical, more modulated kind of IPO environment. Yeah, it's been, well, it's been an interesting year because the, at the beginning of the year, you know, the small caps were actually outperforming by a lot the first couple of months of the year. And then they went sideways the rest of the year while the S&P, you know, kept going up. Um, and now you have sort of the situation where the S&P is up, you know, 20 plus and the Russell's up 10. Um, there's definitely, we're always happy to see new IPOs, uh, you know, be they SPACs or, or just traditional IPOs, because the more, you know, more tech companies are out there, the more opportunities we're going to get. Some of the old miss earnings or, you know, a SaaS company will show some bad metrics and, you know, all of a sudden they'll fall into our kind of our area. So, we're you know, always happy to see kind of more, you know, technology stocks out there. How do you feel about, um, so for your universe in this, uh, this, you know, sort of the far end of the small cap world, how much do the macro factors matter, right? So like when you're talking, when we're at the other end, when we're looking at, you know, large cap growth stocks, for example, they get very directly affected by things like interest rate movements, right? So the... You know, the 10 year spikes and everyone sells off like high multiple growth names. I, I wonder if any of those macro factors really play into your part of the market. Yeah, I mean, we definitely see those swings, you know, when interest rates spike up, people, I think people sell tech in general. So even in our you know, smaller cap names, uh, you know, tech gets sold off. Um, but uh so we do see some of that, but with the fundamentals of the companies, it's less of an effect because mo- most of our names on the long side have a lot of excess cash. So interest rates aren't really going to affect them. Um, so really the, the main factor that would affect them is the economy, the, over, you know, the broader economy and tech spending, you know, in particular. Okay. So let's, uh, let's talk some stocks. Um, so, so uh, for one thing, um, you know, in looking at some of the names that you like, um, you seem to like kind of, um, I don't know what's the right word, like uh, kind of crunchy, like deep in the weeds that technology plays, semiconductor component companies, uh, some networking component companies, sort of hardcore technology, um, not necessarily consumer plays. Do you, how do you think about that? And is that more an outgrowth of the process or more is that sort of where you tend to find stuff? Yeah, we actually, we, we do that on purpose because the, you know, sort of if you think about like, you know, business to business type names, 
the product cycles tend to be a lot longer. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you're designed into a, you know, a Cisco router, that router is going to be on the market for five years, you know, at least. Um, whereas if you're designed into the iPhone every year, you get a new iPhone and there's a chance you'll be designed out. So we do that. We definitely do that on purpose, trying to you know, focus on the business, business. You know, not to say that we, we don't have, we haven't had any, you know, sort of B2C names in the portfolio, but they tend to be a minority. Okay. So let's talk about a few. Uh, one uh, I know that you like that we've actually talked about before is a company called Silicon, which has been around and been a public company for a little while. This is an Israeli company. Talk a little bit about what they do and why you find uh, Silicon. This is S-I-L-C, I think is the ticker. Yeah, S-I-L-C is a ticker. So this is a name we've actually been invested in since almost since the launch of the fund in 2008. Um, they've, they've actually, in that time, they've kind of grown their revenues sixfold, um, you know, grown profitability in excess of that. But they've always, it, it, the way the company grows, it sort of grows in a stair-step fashion. So they'll have a period of extreme growth followed by a plateau. Um, so what they do is they sell, traditionally the business was selling network interface cards. So these are, you know, cards with a chip on them that go into things like firewalls and storage mm-hmm. boxes and, uh, you know, into servers where you want to offload the CPU so the CPU can do its job better. Um, so they've found a way in a variety of different, uh, you know, sort of growth markets there. There was something called WAND optimization back about 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. There was a growth market for a while. Um, you know, six years ago, there was cybersecurity you know, where the firewall market was growing pretty nicely. So they were doing well there. So they're coming off a plateau for the last couple of years. Um, but we think there's, you know, if you look ahead, there's some great growth opportunities for the company, um, really in kind of two segments. One is uh, the network edge where they sell uh, boxes that sit in the branch office and their hardware kind of hosts uh, different types of software. So it can host, you know, routing functionality, it can host, a firewall. It can host something called SD WAN, uh, which is you know basically a way for companies to uh, you know do their internet in a more secure basis and also more cheaply than traditional methods. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a market which is growing you know really fast. Um, they've had you know probably three or four major design wins in this market this year, including um, they just about a month ago announced a design win where they're is going to be getting you know 30 million in initial purchase orders, probably ramping up to 50 million a year, and pretty significant because the company's doing about 120 million a year in revenue now. So that would be you know adding 40 percent or so oh. to the to the total. So that's one area of growth for them. Then the other area for growth, which is interesting, um, it's in 5G infrastructure. So there is traditionally, if you want to build a mobile network, you would call you know, Nokia or Ericsson or Huawei, and those right. guys give you the whole the whole package. Um, but now there's something called Open RAN, which is more of a standards-based consortium. And, you know, basically anybody with the best of breed product can sell into Open RAN architecture. So Silicon has some cards and also some boxes um, that are pretty essential, actually, to the Open RAN infrastructure. And they've announced, you know, four or five large design wins this year in that in that area of the market, um, including, you know, they so they don't really reference their customers, you know, when they'll say like a large, you know, European 
right. telco or something like that. Right. Um, but they did mention a large uh, U.S. telco, which is ramping out a greenfield network, which basically is, you know, DISH. Um, so that's you know, right. a pretty, pretty exciting area where they're already, you know, sort of selling into a production network. Um, so what's, what's interesting about telecom, so you, you look at the design wins and say, wow, you know, why are people buying the stock? You know, it's pretty exciting announcements they're coming out with. So they had about, I want to say in 2018, they had a very large design win with IBM, which was supposed to be, you know, 75 million a year. And at that time, they were probably doing 80 million a year in revenue. So it's basically double the size of the company. Um, and it was for this kind of innovative new switching product that was going to go into all of IBM's cloud servers. Mm -hmm. um, but what happened was IBM got cold feet at the last minute and basically pulled that contract. And when that happened, Silicon stock got cut in half because everybody had been oh. excited about that contract. And since then, people have been a little bit more, you know, circumspect about design wins in general. So we've known the company, I mean, since 2008. And, and I'll tell you that it's very, very rare that a design win gets, you know, pulled away from them like the IBM one did. Um, so that's one thing. And the other thing is now they have, you know, seven or eight major design wins. So it's not just one that they're counting on. Um, so even if one of them, for whatever reason, doesn't sell well in the market, uh, you know, they have the other ones to, to kind of go back on. So, you know, we think that, uh, you know, revenues are going to, you know, grow pretty quickly over the next few years. And it's a pretty, uh, there's a lot of operating leverage in the model. So as revenues grow, margins tend to grow pretty quickly as well. So EPS grows really fast. So that's kind of what we're looking for, you know, over the next next few years from uh, from Silicon. So stocks about, as I look at it uh, live here, about 49, market caps around 340. What kind of upside would you see if all goes well, if these deals come, come through? Yeah, so we're, we, we think they can grow at least 25% top line. Mm -hmm. um, so if you look at, we tend to look at a few years. So if you look at to like 2025, if they grow at a 25% clip, they could do, you know, 750 a share in, in EPS. So, you know, putting a 20 right. multiple on that, which would be reasonable given the growth. So it's $150 stock. So there's a lot of- That'd be a triple. Yeah, so a lot of upside, a lot of upside from here. And and you do find, you know, in these small cap tech names, you can find names where there's just a multiple, you know, kind of of, of upside, um, you know, if you look carefully enough, so. Okay. Um, you've got a couple of other, like, deep in the weeds, uh, kind of uh, networky kind of names, including um, a lot, which is a great name for a company. Um, tell us. <laughs> A little about a lot, which is uh, A L L T. Is that right? That yeah, A L L T is a ticker. Um, so what a lot does is uh, so their traditional business is something called uh, deep packet inspection, mm -hmm. um, where they sit in the you know in the service provider network, and they basically tell the network operator every packet that's running on the network, and you know if, if there's um, you know. People like to do it for, you know, inspecting traffic to see if there's malicious traffic on the network right. or to be able to, you know, if, if people have contracts where after a certain amount of data, you know, data slows down. So they, you know, they throttle the data in the network. Um, 
So they've been in that market for probably 10 years or so now. Um, but they had a new management team come in uh, about, I want to say four or five years ago. And they saw an opportunity for, for a lot to do uh, security in the network. So basically, you know, right now, if you have a mobile phone and you want to protect your mobile phone, you have to download, you know, Norton or McAfee and they have to set right. it up. And there's, there's a lot of hesitancy for people to do that. Um, so you end up with a lot of phones that just aren't, you know, there's no security on them. So you can have malware or different types of attacks on the phone. So what a lot is sort of saying, you know, the, the solution they provide is they will be in the network seeing this traffic and they're going to block all that malware from coming to your phone in the first place. Mm -hmm. And what they do, the way they do that is they, they sign uh, a partnership with the, with the operator where it's like a revenue share profit, you know, a uh, uh, revenue share partnership and you'll pay a little bit extra a month. Let's say you pay a dollar or two extra a month for secure, you know, for secure bandwidth from the operator and they will share in that, you know, take a third or a half, you know, of that revenue stream from the operator. And, and, and Jeff, who's the customer base there? Is it, um, are these enterprise or like or small business customers or consumers? So these, so the, the customers really are the network operators. So right. they'll, you know, they, they've had a deal actually with, with uh, Vodafone for a long time mm -hmm. um, where they actually, originally they had a slightly different business model where they sold to Vodafone as a, you know, perpetual license and then Vodafone just got to use, uh, you know, the, the technology themselves over time, and they have over 20 million subscribers with, with Vodafone. So now the way they do it is, you know, they do this revenue share agreement with the operator, so it's recurring revenue, mm -hmm. um, which is much more stable and also much more highly valued, you know, in the marketplace. So they do it. They do it. The end customers are either consumers with their phones or also small business users uh you know with their sort of office kind of office equipment right so a lot is sort of down a lot right so the the stock was is about i don't know half its mid-year peak like i think the stock hit the low 20s and now it's around 11 and 11 or 12 bucks um what what happened to them yeah so they basically um you know so so they're they have very long sales cycles with these operators. So that's one type of delay that could happen in the sales process. Um, but they've also found that once, even once you sign up the operators, you know, once to get the operators to launch the product, you know, sometimes the operator will start it out as a free product. Mm -hmm. So, so last not make a revenue there until they start charging for it. Um, but also just the implementation process was taking longer than they thought. So they, they had come out with a, uh, you know, a kind of revenue security as a service revenue number for 2022. Um, I want to say probably the first quarter of this year, just mm -hmm. to give people some visibility into what things could look like in 2022. Sure. And they had to lower that number last quarter because implementations yeah. were taking longer than they thought. So that, you know, they, they had to, to lower that number. The, you know, it was a disappointment. Um, people sold the stock. Um, I think they've baked in a lot more conservatism now, you know, kind of based on that experience. Um, you know, so we think next year is going to be a pretty pivotal kind of pivotal year for them, uh, you know, both with new contracts, but also with, you know, with implementations. 
Um, and they, so the, the way they sort of measure, you know, the contracts that they're winning, they, they have something called maximum annual revenue. So what that is, is basically, you know, if the service provider, if their entire customer base were to adopt, you know, the, this solution, what would the revenue kind of look like, you know, from that, from that base? And it's never going to be, you know, that level because that assumes hundred percent penetration and penetration is more like what they've seen historically is 30 to 50% penetration. So, mm -hmm. but that gives you just a sense for how big, kind of how big the deals are. Um, so so they, what do you, what do you think it's, where do you think it goes from here? Like what's the, what's the, your, what's the bull case? Sure. So basically, you know, right now it's trading about, you know, two and a half times uh, next year's sales number. Um, so, you know, now it's sort of the security as a service part of it is, is a small piece. Um, but we think over time, you know, 2025, that that piece is going to become a lot, you know, a lot larger and that piece is going to get a much higher multiple. Because if you look at, you know, if you look at, you know, software as a service companies, they traded, you know, 10 times sales or more. Um, and this is going to be as a service recurring revenue as well. So um you know we think the stock can go to you know 50 kind of by by that time at two or six times you know that that your sales which is a blended number between the security as a service and the uh you know the dpi business right so um what other sort of a, we'll get to another name in a moment but i am curious about uh, for one thing uh, you mentioned for example how long you've owned silicon like do, what what kind of average holding period do you have do you do you tend to trade a lot in the portfolio or do you tend to, um, you know, have like lower turnover, say, than some other? Portfolio? Yeah. So so it's generally, I'd say, average holding period is probably two to three years. Um, and we do not trade a lot in the portfolio. So we're definitely more buy and hold type investors. Uh, you know, we have a lot of patients, <laughs> which a lot of investors don't have. Right. Um, and the truth is, with these companies, you need it because oftentimes progress is like two steps forward, one step back. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's kind of like you see with a lot like, you know, they've made progress, but, you know, they had to step back, you know, during the, you know, dur during the process. So, you, you know, you need to have patience with that. But um, but generally, I'd say two, two to three years is kind of the average. Right. Okay. So one other, um, another name that's I think kind of fascinating that's in your portfolio is um, a company called Franklin Covey, which um, this is a much different kind of business. Um, tell people a little bit about what they do. And uh, this is uh, FC is the ticker on Franklin Covey. Um, tell people a little bit about this company and what, why you like it. Yeah, it's kind of it's an interesting, interesting business, a little different than most of the things we do. So it's actually it's like a consulting business. It's a leadership training business um, and they operate both in sort of the enterprise world. So you want to kind of upgrade your leadership skills or also they have a division that does uh, K through 12 schools. Mm -hmm. So they help kind of the kids develop leadership qualities. Um, and they're, they're kind of famous, I guess, you know, they, they published the seven habits of highly effective people. Well, this, the Covey is Stephen Covey, right? Yeah. People will likely. Yes. So there was a, there was a merger. I want to say going back probably eight or nine years between Stephen Covey's business and the Franklin business where they get the, you know, kind of the Franklin Covey 
um, from, and they're they're very well regarded in kind of leadership training. Like if you want to have, you know, really kind of deep, you know, behavioral change at your business, and you want your people operating in a much more effective way, they're they're very good at that. Um, and what it, it, the way it used to work, probably I'd say five or six years ago, is it was really like they would they would sell things on an a la carte basis. So you would say, I want to, you know, I want this coaching, I want these materials, and you pay for each thing individually. Um, but what they said at that time is, why don't we do something called an all access pass where you sign up on a subscription basis and you get access to all of our, you know, all of our research, all of our consulting. Um, kind of on a per enterprise um, model or per like a kind of a... Per, 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 kind of a per seat model you would use if it was a software. Uh, yeah, it's like on a per seat, the per seat basis. Um, and they've grown that piece of the business basically from zero five years ago to $100 million today. Um, and it's been actually accelerating the last, you know, the last couple quarters. Um, so that's, you know, basically, if you look at the, you know, overall kind of multiple that the company gets, it trades like about two times sales. Um but if you look at the way its business model, I mean, they're growing, you know, sort of top line, you know, 12% plus and the, and they have a very high gross margin. So it's like an 80% gross margin business. And all of that revenue is dropping to the EBITDA line. So they're growing their EBITDA, you know, really kind of really rapidly adding, you know, 10 to $15 million of EBITDA per year. Um, so it's becoming, you know, sort of, you know, cheaper and cheaper over time. Uh, and we think kind of once they get recognized as being a sort of as a service, you know, recurring revenue offering, we think the multiple is going to expand um, kind of, you know, where it goes, tough to say, but, you know, six times sales, probably not unreasonable. Um, and that'll give you kind of a reasonable EBITDA. Right. So it's EBITDA a two times well. two time sales or less now? Yeah, basically two times sales today. Um, yeah. These guys so have. Do you think should be should we be thinking about about them as a? I, I hesitate to call them a cloud software company because that implies multiples look, look very different than that, right? Uh, you know, where six times would be like a gigantic bargain. Um, they're not growing the same pace, right? This is no snowflake. They're going ten percent plus, maybe. Yeah, so they they've actually the revenue has been kind of accelerating. So it's sort of interesting. So they their management, great management team, very conservative. So the last few years they've said, okay, we're a high single digit grower, but EBITDA is going to grow faster because of the you know operating leverage of the business. Um, but past you know basically the past uh, you know three quarters, revenue has been growing a lot more quickly than that. So they've now they've come out and said, okay, we're a low double digit grower. Um, so they're not they're definitely not growing as fast, you know, as a as a snowflake. But you know, if you look at the margins, you know, so right now they're probably doing, a, I want to say like a you know a fifteen percent EBITDA margin. Mm -hmm. um, so there's another company that we've owned for a long time um, called Tech Target, which is you know it's it's a it's a different business. It's an internet business where um, the company basically gathers kind of leads you know, sales leads and sells them to you on a subscription basis. Right. Um, this is a TTGT, right? Correct. Correct. So, so this is a company where they, they had a new product and they started a subscription 
model going back you know about six years um and they've been able to ramp up their EBITDA margins to you know 35 percent so and, and growing the top line also sort of similar pace like a you know 10 to 12 percent top line growth um so that to me is sort of like a model where franklin covey can go over time uh you, you know as as sort of revenue increases and you know with the 80 percent gross margins it drops you know to the EBITDA line so we have time for maybe one-ish more uh, stock picks, although I know you've got more than that. Um, give us one other name that you uh, that you really find appealing. Yeah, so there's a company called uh, A10 Networks, um, which is a it's also in the security business, cybersecurity business. Uh, this is uh, A-T-E-N, A10. Right, A-T-E-N. It's a little bigger than our average, you know, company, it's about $1.2 billion market cap, uh, you have 180 million in net cash, you know, so it's a, a decent chunk, you know, of the market cap in there. And these guys are in terms of capital allocation, they're both buying back stock and paying a dividend now. So definitely, you know, if you like that type of capital allocation, they're, they're doing it. It's really, it's a big turnaround. It's a company where a few years ago under previous management, um, you know, the company was kind of stagnating on the top line and not really and operating on basically on a break even level. And if you look at some of the comps in the space, you look at like an F5 networks, mm-hmm. you know, they have like 40 percent operating margin. So there's, there's like a big disconnect. So uh, uh, a new management team came in um, about three years ago. Uh, great new CEO, very very sort of soft-spoken, under-the-radar guy, but very process-oriented. Um, and the first thing they, they did was they, they kind of cut costs. They said, we have a lot of excess here. So they cut costs. But at the same time, they started focusing their R&D on, you know, the, the highest relevance products, you know, uh, you know, that they would need in the, in the cybersecurity market. So now um, revenues in this past quarter, revenues grew uh, 15%. Um, and they, they're up to 25% uh, EBITDA margin. So there's been a remarkable turnaround. Um, and we think there's a lot, of, still a lot of headroom. You know, if you look at like an F5 with 40% operating margins, you know, we think there's a lot of headroom on the margin side. And also um, we think, you know, they are taking share, uh, you know, in the service provider market. And also they have some new partnerships with, uh, with Dell and Ericsson which we think can help them, Ericsson on the service provider side and Dell on the enterprise side. So um, we think that, you know, revenue growth, you know, could stay at these levels or even accelerate, um, which would lead to a, you know, kind of re-rating of the, uh, of the multiples. So, you know, the, the, I was looking at the long-term uh, stock chart that we're seeing here and um, the, uh, the stock was kind of dead in the water for years, like at around $7, like, I mean, for multiple years in a row. And then seems to have gotten a little bit of a lift um, earlier this year, got up to about, oh, I don't know, close to 20. And it's still um, it's still hanging in the mid-teens. It's actually up like three and a half percent today. Um, it, is, um, is the driver there um, the acceleration of the growth or like are they, I mean, you've also seen like, I, I have to wonder at that size if they're like a, acquisition target or like an a10 has been around a long time this is a company that's been public since like i don't know 2014 i think so it's like 
maybe it's longer than that even. Uh, yeah. Well, I think it's interesting. So this this kind of, this is a good example of what a positive management change can mean to a business. Um, like we looked at this probably three years ago or four years ago, maybe under previous management. And we said we like the products, you know, technically they're probably the best products in the market, but we didn't have confidence in the CEO and we just couldn't, you know, and we need both. So we, we just couldn't get there. Then when the new CEO came in, you know, we kind of looked at his background. We, we spoke to him. We, we talked about the plans for the business. Um, and we were able to get, you know, confident with kind of what the plans were. And you can really see, I mean, it's the, the turnaround has been dramatic, both, you know, on the revenue growth side, now they're growing pretty nicely and the margins are, you know, are, are kind of dramatically better. So it, it's really like when you have a new management team come in with a different plan and we see this in a bunch of our names, uh, you know, you really can dramatically change the outlook for the company. So um, I'm, I want to I want to just do one have you talk about one other thing before we wrap up here. Um, we had a few questions from uh, from listeners around um, the kinds of financial metrics you use or how you identify candidates uh, for the portfolio or and particularly how you think about measuring value for stocks that are not yet profitable or you're, maybe you see top line growth or maybe they're going maybe it becomes like a reporting question about how they report their numbers. Talk a little bit about the, you know, some of the key financial metrics that you look for when you're picking stocks. Yeah. So on, on the long side, we really look a lot at, uh, you know, as I said, sort of enterprise value to revenue. Um, and, you know, what that tells you is, you know, something might, let's say they're not even making money today, right? They're break even. Um, let's say the company hasn't really grown in a couple of years. You know, so people say, wow, it's expensive on a PE basis because they don't really have any earnings. Uh, but we look and say, OK, on an enterprise value revenue basis, let's say it's trading at you know one time sales. You know, so where could this company be if they got to 20 percent operating margin? So at that point, you know, it would be trading at sort of five times operating profit and maybe eight times right. earnings, which would be pretty cheap. And usually the way the companies get to these higher margins is through kind of accelerating revenue growth and, you know, m revenue dropping to the bottom line. Um, so we're, we're looking for companies with a lot of potential, you know, companies with new products right. that we like, companies with new management teams. Um, so that we, you know, we screen things by enterprise value to revenue. And then within that screen, you know, you tend to find a lot of companies which deserve to have low multiples because they're just crappy businesses. Right. Um, but you also, you can find gems in there. And that's what we sort of dig through there. We talk to management. We, you know, we, we talk to customers and competitors. And, and also, I've been doing this now for 25 years. So I've seen, you know, different scenarios play out. So you get a good sense for what could be promising, you know, versus what might not be so promising. Okay. Well, we are over time. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jeffrey. Very much appreciated. Thanks to all our viewers for joining us today as well. Um, please join us again tomorrow. We'll have uh, Market Watch. We'll be speaking with Aaron Fisher, who's the CEO of EV Passport, about um, EV charging systems, a whole another area we could have addressed, um, and the role of utilities and car makers, uh, and all of that should be a good uh, good listen. Thank you for to all of you for being with us. Be well.
Get boosted. Stay safe. Thanks very much. Thank you. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.